0: Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. As always, I am pleased to be back with you. It's True Crime Thursday. So before we get into our case for today, I got a couple of announcements, very quick. One, I am, y'all, in the midst of a very bad head cold slash sinus infection. It's a whole thing. But I want you to know that it is indeed me, Steph, Speaking to you right now and throughout this episode and not Kermit the Frog, okay? Just want to clear that. Um, but also just want to, you know, tell you guys that MD um, just yesterday lost one of her close friends. And so I want you guys mm-hmm. to send her some love, um, some positive vibes as we allow her time to kind of get her affairs in order and help out the family. But I also want to, you know, encourage her to get some rest because sometimes, you know, we want to busy ourselves with things. And so she has a lot going on just in her everyday life. But to have a situation where her, you know, one of her close friends um, passes away, it it adds more to the pot, right? So we just want to send prayers and thoughts and positive vibes. But let's get into our episode for today. Today's episode is about Frederick Matting. I've entitled this episode, The Usual Suspects. On November 2nd, 2010, the Cordova Police Department received several 911 calls. The callers told the dispatcher that they heard multiple gunshots in the area, and this happened around 4.30 to about 4.35 a.m. When police arrived on scene, they discovered a man lying on the ground. He had a wound to his pelvic area and had large amounts of blood coming from his head. It also appeared that he had been stabbed several times. Immediately, police start to collect evidence on the crime scene, and they discover that there's blood splatter on the sidewalk, the ground, and the grass area. Now, there also was a blood trail that led to a car on the opposite side of the street. They were able to recover a gunshot shell casing, and that was by the car. And then they found another shell casing that was just a few yards away. They identified the victim as Frederick Matting. They found this out because his wallet was still in his pocket, along with his driver's license and $400 in cash. Immediately, the police knew that this was not a robbery because all of his belongings, including the $400 in cash, were found on scene. But based on the intensity and the torture of this crime, they knew that somebody had it out for Frederick. And the next course of action would be to notify his next of kin. But they didn't have to go far to do so. Actually, they discovered that Frederick was probably on his way into his house because this happened just a few yards away from his front yard. So the police identified his home, knocked on the door, and a woman came and identified herself as Patricia Madding. She said that she was his wife. Immediately, the police asked her, since this crime happened so close to her house. Had she heard any disturbances, anyone arguing? Did she hear the gunshots? And she tells police no. Police scratched their head, a little puzzled by the fact that she did not hear anything when they had multiple neighbors and people in the area who heard this disturbance. But they kind of chalked it up to maybe she was a deep sleeper, you know, maybe she just really didn't hear it so she's asked if they can come inside she agrees and a bit confused she tells police officers that she actually was awaiting the arrival of her husband back home he was working overnight shift and was working overtime and so she was one you know she was expecting him back home they ask her if, if he has any known enemies in the area like is is there something going on with him and she tells them that she knows of no one so after asking a couple of more questions they realize that she really doesn't have any information and then they tell her that Frederick was indeed killed police then go out to the neighborhood and canvas the area they're trying to figure out You know, since they had these multiple 911 phone calls, there has had there has to be somebody who has a little extra information. And they actually found several eyewitnesses. One person told police that they heard gunshots at about 435 a.m. And then one man said that he looked out his window and saw a large man wearing a yellow hoodie. They also saw that same man getting into a dark colored Ford F-150 pickup truck the truck had been parked at a vacant house and they actually left without their lights on after the murder was committed. So in the driveway of that house, the police found an oil slick stain in the driveway that indicates that somebody was, in fact, at this vacant house and they had obviously been sitting there with their car on or car parked for a little bit of time. So after... They collect all of this information. The police are trying to figure out who the former owner was of this house because this seemed to be somewhat of a promising lead. And they discover that at one point or another, a drug dealer lived in the area. So they're trying to connect the dots or try to connect the dots. The police track down the former owner of this home. And he tells them that he's in the process of selling his house and he gave no one permission to be there. So if someone was there, he didn't give them permission to be there. And So he doesn't really have any other information. But that's not enough for investigators. They need to know, was this farmer owner in the area on the morning of the murder? And he tells them, no, I was at home with my wife. They're able to substantiate this. And he's eventually ruled out. They're back at ground zero. But just the very next day, on November 3rd, they're able to get the autopsy back from Frederick's death and definitively say how Frederick was killed. Now, he had been shot in the pelvic area. He had been stabbed in the head and neck. He was stabbed four times in the torso and had multiple fractures to his arms and had 10 fractured ribs. Frederick died a horrific death and it definitely indicated that this was a crime of passion. Since the police didn't get much information from Patricia and then the lead of the former homeowner kind of dwindled and left the homeowner excluded, they went and obtained a cell phone warrant for a cell phone tower. Now, We've kind of talked about geodata here on Murder in the Black, but just to give you a quick refresher, basically every time you're in an area, there are cell phone towers, right? They give you that great 5G reception that we all try to have. Well, those cell phone towers collect your phone number. They collect your data. And so police wanted to kind of find out what was going on with cell phones in the area during the time of the murder. So the data was able to show them that The phone numbers that were used from anyone who had been in the area within a two mile radius from the crime scene. They also obtained Frederick's cell phone records because they needed to see who he was talking to and the whereabouts of, you know, the people in the area at the time of the murder. The police learned that he had been talking to a woman who stayed about 15 minutes away from the crime scene, away from his house, right? Because the crime scene was pretty close to his own home. The text message and phone calls were made routinely almost every day. And they discovered through the text message that this relationship that he had with this particular woman was an intimate relationship. They go and interview this lady, and she admits to police officers, yes, Frederick and I were having an affair, but she tells them, not only were they having an affair, but she was indeed married. So the police kind of figure, okay, this is the usual thing, right? Like, her husband did it. He had to do it. But as they do further investigation and research, they discover that not only did her husband not do it, but he had no idea that his wife was having an affair. Imagine that bomb drop. But they were able to exclude him as well because they discovered that he was actually at work at the time of Frederick's murder. They excluded both Her husband and her. But imagine, just for a brief second, the amount of shock that had to be on that husband's face. Not only was your wife cheating, but yeah, by the way, her lover was killed. Ouch. So right back again, the police are still at ground zero. Left scratching their heads to how exactly or who exactly had motive enough to kill Frederick. Investigators were keeping the information about Frederick's affair to themselves. They didn't notify anybody in his family about that because they were really still trying to get to the bottom of what ultimately happened to Frederick. But around November 9th, they noticed that Patricia, his wife, was acting very strangely and downright suspicious. I mean, initially, their first conversation with Patricia, she didn't really give up any information and she seemed to be a bit confused. But let's face it, her husband had just been killed, and so she could have been a mess because of that, emotions running high. But they noticed that as the investigation went on, and you could argue that the investigation didn't go on for a long time. But on November 9th, they just noticed that, you know, since Frederick's death, she hadn't really inquired much about the investigation or get, you know, not calling them to get any updates. And I guess that by itself wasn't suspicious. But accompanying the fact that she acted very strangely at the beginning, and then now she wasn't calling trying to find out what happened to her husband. And she just outright seemed aloof, like she didn't really care. So all those things in combination just made her a bit suspicious. So police did some digging, and they discovered that in the days leading up to Frederick's murder, Patricia had been calling her local insurance agent, asking questions about Frederick's life insurance. So the police dug a little further. And they pulled Patricia's phone records. They needed to see who she was talking to. And dare I say, who you're talking to can reveal a lot about what may be going on in your life. Police learned that Patricia was in close contact with someone who lived in the Carbondale, Illinois area. So they went ahead and made contact with the Carbondale Police Department. Now, I don't know if that's regular practice for investigators to do, but for whatever the reasons were, they felt like it was necessary for them to make contact with the Carbondale Police Department. And they discovered through these phone records and just, you know, digging, that Patricia had a secret life, a double life. She actually had a business in Carbondale. She was running a transportation business there. She had a boyfriend. And she was renting out an apartment. So when she wasn't with her husband, she was in Carbondale, Illinois, living her best life. Investigators bring Patricia in to interview her on December 1st. And they don't automatically reveal that Frederick was having an affair. They're kind of just trying to see where she is and what she reveals. They're trying to feel her out, shake her down. That's when Patricia reveals that she knew that Frederick was having an affair, information that she failed to tell investigators initially. She said that she found text messages on Frederick's phone and she even called the other woman and confronted her about it. She then says that she confronted Frederick about the affair, but the way that Patricia was telling investigators this information, she was really trying to paint Frederick out to be this bad guy Like this guy that was partying all the time Cheating on her um, You know just a overall You know womanizer And he was the problem Not her So alluding to the fact That maybe he died Or someone murdered him because of his lifestyle Investigators Ask Patricia Okay Patricia listen we know about your secret life in Carbondale. Frederick wasn't the only one not doing what they were supposed to in this marriage. Why didn't you tell us about that? And she says, Well, you know, that was not information I felt like I needed to reveal because that was my business. And she didn't do anything wrong. Plus, she was kind of afraid that she would get into some trouble. So, <laughs> investigators. Stop the interview because now Patricia is on the defense, right? And they're cornering her. But the reality is, is that they don't have enough evidence to do anything. They can't arrest her. But they really strongly believe that Patricia knows more than what she's saying. The very next day on December 2nd, police decide to go to Carbondale and speak to Patricia's boyfriend, hoping that he will reveal something because to them, Patricia has something to do with Frederick's death. But when they get there, they don't find what they were necessarily looking for because they discover that Patricia's boyfriend had nothing to do with Frederick's murder and they were able to actually exclude him based on the interview that they had with him. So the police decided to go back over patricia's phone records and see if they had missed something that they you know missed something that they originally looked at before and that was the case because she was actually in communication with someone else and that person was her older brother james zale smith james and patricia had the very typical brother and sister relationship he was her protector. She was a younger sister who just adored her brother. So they knew that there may be something there. They take a closer look at James and discover that he actually lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But his phone records actually put him in Carbondale on the weekend of Frederick's murder. So the police do what they kind of been doing when they find out that somebody lives in another state or city they reach out to the milwaukee pd they pull a background check on james just to see if there's anything in his past that would suggest that he may have something to do with this murder was he a violent person they discover that he had no criminal history but as they're looking at his background documents they see in his driver's li- driver license photo that he's wearing a yellow hoodie James also drove a dark-colored Ford F-150. So now they're starting to think there's something there, because if you remember, the eyewitness at Frederick's crime scene said they saw a man wearing a yellow hoodie, and they also saw somebody driving a dark-colored Ford F-150. A closer look at James and Patricia's phone records revealed that they both had turned off their cell phones at 10 30 p.m all the way into the next morning to 7 a.m now this is unusual because they were both on their phones all the time so it just was unusual that both of their phones went dark on the day of frederick's murder The police knew that they needed to sit down and interview James. So on December 3rd, the very next day, they decided to talk to him. And at first, James said that he had no idea who would wanna murder Frederick, that he was surprised that anyone did that. He had no prior knowledge about anybody who would wanna do it and he didn't know anything about it. But at the same time as the police are questioning James, they go ahead and seize his truck and while no forensic evidence was found inside of the truck they do see that james's truck is dripping oil and the police had found an oil stain in the driveway of that vacant house on the opposite side of the street where frederick was found the police confront james with this information and james just go ahead and cops to the fact that he was in Cardova on the night of the murder. But here's the thing. He said he went to Frederick's home to confront him, but when he arrived, there was someone else attacking Frederick. James said that the person held him at gunpoint, and at this point, the police just knew. Okay, sir, you're clearly lying, James. Like, just come up off of it. James said that Patricia had been talking to him and confiding in him that Frederick was mentally and physically abusing her. And Frederick had been basically threatening to kill Patricia. And so he decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands because according to him, he would do anything for his baby sister. He told investigators that both he and Patricia turned off their phones the night before the murder and then he drove almost four hours from Carmondale to Cordova and arrived there around 3.30 a.m. He said he parked his truck in that vacant house in the driveway where his car left an oil slick and he waited for Frederick. He said that Frederick knew it was him upon seeing him and arriving home and asked, obviously, what are you doing here? That's when James said he had a shotgun and fired it at Frederick. Frederick took off running, which explains the blood splatter that police, the blood trail that police originally saw. And that's when James followed him and stabbed him, hit him in the head with the gun, and Frederick tried to escape again, but eventually he fell down and succumbed to his wounds. The police asked James, why was his attack so violent? Why was why did he use so much force and excessive force? He stabbed him, he shot him. James said that he didn't really have an answer. And he said, well, he kept really getting up and running away. And so I felt like I had to, I was committed to making sure that he was dead. James said that he tossed the gun and the knife into the river on his way back home to Milwaukee. On December 7, 2010, Patricia and James were both charged with first degree murder. Patricia immediately asked for a lawyer and refused to talk to police. James agreed to testify against Patricia and accepted a plea deal of 13 years in prison. Patricia took her, tra- took her charges all the way to trial. And in December of 2012, the jury couldn't agree on a verdict. The trial resulted in a mistrial. Patricia's charge was reduced to reckless homicide and she was actually sentenced to eight years. James died in prison in 2018, and Patricia has since been released. This is the story of Frederick Matting. Takeaway, we are here. <laughs> well, you guys, I think that my title of this case kind of explains it all If you're anything like me you got halfway through the episode and you said you know what I already know the husband did it you felt like his lover's husband committed the murder and I have to say that while researching this case I felt the exact same way I was like this I've I've told this story before. And the truth of the matter is, is that it wasn't at all how we expected it to go down. But ultimately, I think the takeaway is this. All that glitters is not gold and all gold is not reality. Have you heard that quote before? Well, the truth is, is that marriage is tough. And the reality is that most people don't tell you how hard it is. And that's why we all think it's all a fairy tale, glitter, and gold when we enter into it. But marriage is hard. And unfortunately, instead of exiting the marriage, Patricia felt like she could take matters into her own hands and decided that her and her brother should be the judge and jury on what happens when someone crosses her or when someone has done her wrong and we don't know the full story but here's what we do know Frederick did not deserve to be gunned down in close proximity to his home tortured stabbed constantly hit in the head with a gun and shot he did not deserve those things to happen to him so you know what we say here on murder in the black divorce is expensive but murder well that's just too high of a price to be paid so this serves as a cautionary tale I believe for all of us if the marriage is bad for whatever the reasons were justifiable or not you should get out of that marriage or relationship and let that person live their lives apart from you unfortunately we will never really know why she killed him there's allegations to why she decided to set up that murder but I just think it is a sin and a shame that she only received eight years in prison and she is proudly boldly walking out here in this world as if she is supposed to she took someone's life and in my opinion she should still be in a jail cell but I think that we all need to look and listen to a lot of these cases that we cover here on Murder in the Black because the truth is we can learn a lot from them and decide to make some different choices in our own lives. So, choose your heart. Divorce is hard, but prison time is harder. Just saying. But I know this case was pretty quick. We got through it pretty fast. But I had to come on here and give y'all a case that you probably guessed the ending wrong. (laughs) So I hope that you guys have enjoyed this True Crime Thursday episode. You know what we do here. If you've enjoyed the episode, make sure you rate and review us. It costs you zero dollars to do so. We also want to encourage you to share if you care with friends and family, you can just copy the link, send it to your friends and family to listen to us, and hopefully they become a part of the family. I want to encourage you guys to just send some positive prayers and thoughts our way, and especially to MD during this time where she has lost a close friend, Um, rest in heaven to Catherine. And also, I have to get a shout out to my mom. It is her birthday today. Happy birthday, Ma. Love you. But this is our episode. I hope that you've enjoyed it. And I will be back for another episode next week. Until next time, friends, this is Murdering the Black. <music>